0: If you have a Bible this morning, and you'll read with us, we're going to take a reading from the book of Genesis, chapter forty-two. The book of Genesis, chapter forty-two. And last week, uh, I shared with for those of you that were not here. um, Very unusual for for whatever reason for me to feel inclined this way, but I felt the need to preach a few weeks on the same topic. And um, as I was studying a couple weeks ago, it just seemed. Too big to get in in one sermon. Um, and so I pray that it would be of some benefit to you. Um, what we began talking about last week was genuine repentance genuine repentance and what it looks like. And are taking for a, I guess, scripture reference in totality the story of Joseph and his brothers as some of the qualities of repentance are very clear in this story. Last week, uh, we talked about sin and the sin that they committed and the impact, um, not even the impact that it had, because we're going to spend quite a bit of time talking about that today. But we talked about the sin they committed. We talked about the sin of Jacob and how many times people can blame their own sin on the sin of somebody else. Um, Jacob had favorites, favorite wife, favorite children, and that's sinful. And it created some powerful emotions in his sons. It does not justify what his sons did one bit. And we tried to show last week what his sons should have done in that circumstance versus what they did. And how their emotions took them to a place probably beyond what they expected. And I think we have evidence in the scriptures that we'll show you this morning that it did take them beyond, and they regretted what they did. And we haven't got to repentance yet. But that incident with Joseph, when they're selling him into slavery, even not just what they did, but that encounter those final moments when Joseph is being taken away, stuck in their minds for the rest of their life. And the scripture we're going to show you this morning alludes to that. And so today, if the Lord would help us to do so, I want to talk about the consequences of sin and the scars of sin. Because they're very real. And many of us today, I think unfortunately... There are many people in our world today that their lives are largely governed by their reaction to either their own sin or the sin of somebody else. Or rephrasing that, I'm meaning what they're doing today and the way they're living today is a reaction as to what's happened in the past. Because the consequences of sin are very real. Real. And I hope this morning as we read this scripture and, and that the Lord would help me to illustrate some of the things that he's spoken to my heart. And, and I pray it would be of some use to you. Genesis chapter 42, we'll begin reading in verse 21. And we d- read down to verse 24. And then we'll make comments about some events earlier in this uh, scripture today. So this is, we're kind of jumping ahead a little bit, but it reveals something in this jumping ahead to the past. And so what has taken place here is there's a famine, just like Joseph predicted. They have come into Egypt. Rather, his brothers have come into Egypt. They're looking for food. Joseph recognizes them. And then Joseph begins to um, accuse them falsely of being a spies. Upon doing so, his brothers begin to attempt to reassure him over and over. We're not spies. And they begin to tell who they are and where they're from. He said, listen, my my father lives that direction. There's 12 of us brothers. One of our brothers has died. We have a younger brother still at home. And so Joseph says right before our text, Okay, if your story is true, to verify your story, bring your younger brother with you. Well, that terrifies the brothers because what they know is Jacob their, their father, that's his new favorite, Benjamin. And he's already lost one son. Now he's terrified he's going to lose this second son by even just a coincidence, some accident. He's, he goes in there, it may not be something intentional, but something might happen to him. And so I don't want him to go with you. And so now Joseph has said, bring him. Now what's going on here is that they're speaking in their language. What they don't know is that Joseph is Joseph. He understands their language. He had been up to this point using an interpreter to speak to them. And he continues to conceal the fact that he understands everything that they're saying. But when he gives them this demand, one of the brothers speaks up. And this is his natural reaction. He's talking to his brothers. Nearly 10 to 13 years have passed since they sold Joseph. I want you know this is an important detail because after 13 years of this having transpired and now they're going to be required to bring Benjamin, here's the first thing they say when they're required to do so. Verse 21 of Genesis 42. And they said one to another, We are verily guilty concerning our brother in that we saw the anguish of his soul when he besought us And we would not hear. Therefore is this distress come upon us. And Reuben answered them saying, Spake I not unto you saying, Do not sin against the child and you would not hear. Therefore behold also his blood is required. And they knew not that Joseph understood them for he spake unto them by an interpreter. And he turned himself about from them and wept. And returned to them again, and communed with them, and took from them Simeon, and bound him before their eyes. So again, that'll conclude our reading here. This is kind of jumping into parts of the story. Uh, The story starts in chapter 37 and ends in chapter 50, so can't quite read the whole thing to you this morning. Uh, But this is just a snippet that I want to use as a platform to talk about what we're going to. So the title of our message today is The Pain and Scars of Sin the pain and scars of sin. And I'd like to begin the message this morning by pointing out one of the things that Satan can use against us to encourage us to sin. And that is oftentimes Satan will convince us and our own sinful natures will convince us that if I choose to sin, either a sin of commission... I'm doing something that I ought not to do, or a sin of omission. I know this is right. I know God commands us in His Word. But I'm going to refuse to obey what God has commanded. Either direction, one of the things that I find in my own heart puts me at ease to continue in the path of sin is that I assume I will know what the consequences of my sin are. And because I know the consequences, or I think I do, It's as though I put on a scale, well, here would be the benefit of me sinning right now, and here would be the consequences of me sinning right now, and in my own judgment, I think the consequences are worth the benefits. And that can be for something very trivial, that can be something very significant, But I think I have found in my own self and in others that one of the things that Satan uses to compel us to continue down the path of sin is that we know what the consequences are. And let me state clearly, you and I do not know what the consequences of our sins are. We do not know whom they are going to affect. We don't know by omitting sin what benefits others could have benefited from how God's kingdom could have been exalted when we omit certain commandments that God has given us. We don't know experientially how that our omitting certain things God has commanded us is going to separate us from God and thereby forfeit the benefits of being closer to him. In short, we don't know. From the smallest to the greatest of sins, we have no idea the sins and their consequences they're going to have, nor do we know how long the consequences are going to run. Because the thought might be, you know, if I go and I perform this sin, or if I do that, and I know often that's not how we think of it. it for me, all those thoughts happen very quickly. And there's a lot of presuppositions based in those thoughts. But the thought is, you know, this is what I'm going to miss. It's not a big deal. It's temporary. And then I move on and I pursue whatever sin I'm going to. But what we're going to find through the story is that these brothers had no idea the length of time that their gross sin was going to both affect them and many that would come there after them. Sin is real. Know this. Satan is always actively trying to conceal the effects of sin. Sin. Because by concealing the effects of whether it's someone else's sin, whether it's our sin, whether it's people in the scripture sin, when he can trivialize that in our mind, he makes it just like Eve in the garden look more appetizing. Because you say, you know, that it looks pleasant for the eyes and and good, it's going to make one wise. And look at all the benefits to doing this. And that's what Satan does, is he augments the realities of the impact of sin, both from a positive and a negative light. He makes the negatives not seem too bad. That was one thing as our boys, when we were going through Bible this week, that's one thing I, I overly emphasize to them. Is that sin, the benefits are always going to look really good. And Satan is always going to attempt to diminish the consequences. And yet, as we're going to find in this story, the consequences were very real. Because here's what happens. As you know, if we we rewind back 13 years, here Joseph is. He's had this coat of many colors, as we often call it. And he has revealed to them dreams that he has had now some have said you know I think he was being boastful and yet I think as we go along in the story we're going to find he wasn't being that way I don't think so whatsoever I don't think that he was getting before them and boasting and saying look at these dreams I'm better than all of you because there's other scriptures in the New Testament or excuse me in the Old Testament that reveal I don't think that was the intent of his heart but he gets before him and he, his brothers begin to envy. You remember where we left off last week? As he comes out, he finds his brothers out in the shepherd's field. They see him coming from a distance and they've determined they're going to kill him. And then one of the brothers speaks up and says no, we ought not to kill him. Reuben says, it's going to be we, that's a damaging thing. Let's just throw him in a pit and basically decide what we're going to do with him. Then eventually there's a group of, of traders that come along, Ishmaelites that come along. And they determine, hey we're going to sell him to them and We'll take his coat of many colors, we'll rip it up, we'll put blood on it, we'll go back to our father and say, what do you think happened? And his father will come to the conclusion that his, his son was killed. But here in this text, as they're reflecting on that event, it gives us some notable details of the pain of what transpired that continued to be with those who even committed the sin. It says in verse 21, And I'm going to read it in a different version of the Bible because I think it's going to gain you some clarity. So listen to this reading. And they said one to another, Truly we are guilty regarding our brother Joseph because we saw the distress and anguish of his soul when he pleaded with us to let him go. Yet we would not listen to his cry. So this distress and anguish has come on us. So now it gives us a little insight to the emotional events that transpired while Joseph was seized, thrown into prison, and then sold into Egypt. It says that he was crying out to them, that he was in distress, that he was in anguish. So I want you to imagine it like this. He has all these older brothers that are seizing on him, and he's crying out. He's saying, what are you doing? Stop it. Why are you doing this to me? I'm your brother. Get me out of here. And he is in anguish and distress of soul. And they're seeing the distress that he's going through and what they don't realize in those moments of anger, in the moments where their temper is through the roof, what they don't realize is that these events are making indelible mark on their own heart and conscience. That at the moment when people respond out of emotion and anger, very often we can become calloused to the feelings and needs of other people. And so when we shout things to people in anger, when we say things out of a powerful emotion, very often we can stand before somebody and they can weep before us and we can see the anguish and pain that our sin is causing us, causing them rather, and yet in that moment we're callous to our concern for how they're feeling. And yet time passes and our memory, separated from the emotions of the moment, begin to replay the actions and events that took place. And guess what? It begins to hurt us. We begin to see the darkness of our own sin. The darkness of our own hearts. That we have the capacity to do something so terrible to somebody It begins to affect us. How could I have ever done that? As they're standing here, accountable to what they think is royalty, and what's being demanded of them is something that is going to cause terrible problems, their first thing to come out is, all this is coming upon us because we saw him in anguish and bitterness, and now our sins are coming back to visit us. I noted last week how it's amazing how things, when you were just a child, peers, siblings, friendships, family members, say something, do something, in moments when everyone after the fact can acknowledge it should not have been done. And yet those seeds stay with us. And then 30 years later, whenever our family has another emotional run-in, All of a sudden, the floodgates open up and all those events come back. And we say, well, remember when you said this? Remember when you did this? I want to reiterate this point this morning. The point of these couple of sermons is to say this. What we're trying to teach this morning and over these few weeks is there's a way to avoid that. I want to say avoid that, rather satisfy that. There's a biblical process that God has set up through repentance, forgiveness, and restoration where we don't have to allow these things to press upon our minds for years to cause a breach in fellowship with us and someone else. Rather, God's sufficient word has given us the wisdom and the process that we can employ to make sure that those things are satisfied and those sins don't come back to haunt both us and others consequences to sin, one, the experience Joseph had. So imagine you're seized, here you've grown up with your brothers, you know I I didn't have brothers, but I have four sons, and I guess there's a part of me that envies their experience because there's parts of it that are really cool to me. To watch at times their interplay, to watch the uniqueness of certain experiences that I'll observe without them knowing. He had 11 brothers, right? So he had a lot. And imagine these one that were as close to brothers are now the ones that are hurting you to a degree once unfathomable. I would imagine like any kind of gang-like assault that he went through, there are leaders... And there are observers. And often the observers take comfort in the fact that they weren't the ones grabbing flesh and blood. And yet can any of us deny that there comes a point where the observer becomes complicit in the sin? That when things get to a point, it is necessary for even those observing to speak up and say, stop, this is wrong, this is sinful, and to be a one to intervene to prevent what is going on. And whatever might have been the case, there was one brother that certainly intervened to some extent, but not to the extent of actually helping him get delivered and restored back to fellowship with his family. And so imagine Joseph and the Deep emer- emotional betrayal that he must have felt for years when he thinks back to his family. His last memories of his family are those that are perpetrating the most painful feelings one could have. That's definitely a pain of these brothers. And what's another one? You know, I think a lot of us unknowingly. Function from fear of insecurity. And what I mean is this. Being in unpredictable situations. I hate unpredictable situations. I referenced that a little bit last week. And I think a lot of us function, for example, you think about retirement. Aren't there, at times, a knowledge you might have, I know or I believe, based on all the information, I have sufficient stored up for that day. And yet, there can be a temptation, I want to keep storing just in case. And our minds will run to the most absurd possibilities in case something happens. Because what we don't want to do is face moments of insecurity. I think at times here Joseph was. He's sold to the Ishmaelites and he's taken to a place. He doesn't know what anybody's talking about. They speak a different language. Let me tell you from having traveled overseas, I know some of you have as well. When you're in a place where nobody speaks your language and especially when they start talking and they're looking at you, it leads to a lot of insecurity. What are they doing? What are they planning? Am I the prey on this situation? And then somebody begins to speak to you and you wonder, hey, you just talked for 10 minutes and you just gave me two sentences of what you talked about. What did you really talk about? Now imagine here that this 17-year-old boy has been sold into slavery. And we think of our 17-year-olds and we're hesitant to send them to the store by themselves in in a civilized culture. And yet here this little boy is being sent off into a foreign nation as a foreigner that doesn't know the language, doesn't know the culture, to fend for himself as a slave. Imagine day after day, night after night, as the days and the nights pass, how much, how significant the sins of his brothers affected Joseph's day-to-day life, and how much insecurity that he must have experienced day after day, until he gets sold into Potiphar's house. See, one of the sins, the effects, one of the pains of sin they couldn't have quantified possibly was the moment-by-moment suffering that he did in Egypt. Let's talk about his father for a moment, Jacob. There's other things I could talk about, Joseph. He goes, they didn't know that one day he was going to go into this man's house. He was going to work his way up and perhaps in his own mind say, you know, I would prefer back to be at home with my father and with my family, but at least I've made a life here. For us, we experience that. You know, this isn't, we think to ourselves, this isn't how I planned life to go, but I'll accept reality. This is what it is. And I'll make the best of the situation in life that God has laid out before me. Here, Joseph does that. And his integrity, his wisdom, his skill is recognized and promoted to where now he is a servant of a powerful man and he has worked his way up to where he has esteem and respect within this household. And then, again, sin gets involved. And Potiphar's wife begins to pursue him. And upon pursuing him, she falsely accuses him. I want to bring this back because the root of this begins with his brothers they had no idea that that sin they were committing was going to put him in positions where he was going to again experience immense disappointment and false accusations and eventually cause him to be left in jail and so there he is in prison all beginning with Some brothers acting out of anger. My point is this. They didn't know that's where it was going to lead, but that's where it led. It continued, and he's in prison. And again, he maintains his integrity. His skill and his wisdom is noticed. And he works his way up in the warden's care. And then he has cupbearer. What was the other? The baker, I think it was. The cupbearer and the baker. Basically, he interprets some dreams to them. And then he gets his hopes up because he thinks he's going to experience deliverance. He predicts to the cupbearer, you're going to go and you're going to be, in three days, you're going to be back restored to your former position. Cupbearer says, if this happens, I'm going to remember you. I'm going to bring your case before the king. And then the Bible says the cupbearer forgot him. That story always reminds me of the proverb, um, hope deferred makes the heart sick. You have this anticipation and this hope, this expectation of what's going to happen, and then it's deferred, it doesn't happen, and it makes your heart sick. So imagine Joseph, those moments where he sees the cupbearer lifted back up, he hears the rumors that he's been restored back to his former position, and he's thinking, any day now! Any day now, I'm going to get called before the king. I'm going to get to testify to what's taking place. Maybe I'll get a chance. Only to learn after the weeks and the months pass that he has been utterly forgotten there to continue to rot in prison. All of these things to say, little did his brothers know the pain, the continuous wave of suffering that he was going to have to endure because of their original sin. But that's the reality to it is very often people come in and out of our lives, and we come in and out of people's lives, and when we choose to act out of sin against people, little do we know the words that we speak and the actions that we take may continue to compound their pain over and over and over from the consequences of our sin. That's why it's so important to recognize up front, sin is no joke. Sin is not something. That's one of the things that youth doesn't understand. Youth doesn't understand the consequences of sin because you've never seen its effects played out before your eyes in the life of others or your own. And that's why there is often this Fearfulness within the heart of parents and grandparents and the older generation towards behaviors in young people that seem so small and trivial to the eyes of the young. Because they say, what's the big deal in going to this party and hanging with the wrong crowd? What's the big deal if I don't partake in the sin? If I don't do these actual things? What's the problem if I uh, hang out with this girl that, yeah, she seems like trouble? Or, yeah, I'm going to hang out with this young man who's gotten in some trouble. Doesn't seem too, big like, too much like a big deal. But what if the people that are observing you and warning you from doing that have seen this exact scenario play out in the negative dozens of times? and has watched this young man or young woman who initially had the power to resist the temptations of sin, eventually, after sin continues, the temptation continues to heighten, finally gives in just a little bit. You know, one thing that has amazed me as I've gotten older and counseled people is how much that substances that people ought not to take, get off track here in just a minute, Something like alcohol. They learn when they're a teenager at first they're just drinking alcohol because it's fun with their friends and they're partying and they're living it up. But what they don't realize is that that experience is is teaching their sinful heart something and that is it teaches you how to escape. Very often that's how alcohol has always been used as an escape from real life. And so as a youth, your purpose in going and indulging in sin in that fashion is, you know what, I just want to have fun. It makes the life of the party increase. And perhaps in those moments that's exactly what it does. But then years later, when the weights of responsibility begin to crush you, when life is not fun, when sorrow is piercing your soul like you have never felt before, when depression is weighing on you, when anxiety is causing you not to sleep and it's causing your relationships to fray, and all you want is a moment to escape reality, guess what begins to whisper in your ear? I know where you can escape You remember when you escaped? You can't even remember what happened that night. How many men, how many women had the seeds of future suffering planted in a cavalier attitude as a young man? Oh, the older people, they just don't understand. What if you don't understand? And what if the seeds are being planted in those moments? And those seeds are one day going to be ripe to bloom. Listen, if, if there's anything that is the more I read God's word, there's a reason God says everything he says. There's a reason. You may not understand it when you read it at the moment, but let me tell you, there's always a reason. And if it is not affirmed by the inspiration of of the word, let it at least be affirmed by the hundreds of years of experience in this very room of people who have seen the consequences of what appears to you to be trivial decisions and sins. It's not. They're not. And let me say this. There are consequences to certain actions That's why last week we talked at the very beginning of the message about, you know, people have made this silly substitute for repentance and forgiveness of just saying, oh, I'm sorry. Or an apology. As if that wipes it all away. Let me tell you, it doesn't. And there are sinful decisions that you can make that for the rest of your life and your child's life and perhaps even your grandchildren's life, that they will be reaping some of the consequences of those sins for the entirety of your life. And it can come at a moment that seems like to you, it's no big deal, even though I've been warned. Sin is nothing to play with. And if you went down to each person in this room that has experience, And you said, tell me why I ought not to do this. Have you ever seen this? All of us would have people come to our minds that do the very thing, have done the very thing, and where they ended up. And I'll just put it very concisely. You don't want to end up like they did. Consequences of sin are real. The pain of sin is real. The brothers, I've got to get back to our scripture here. The brothers, they couldn't forget even 13 years later. Notice, and I think this is an important part. It was to me, I had not noticed this before. Notice what they remembered was the emotion of their brother. I don't know this. This is what I infer from the reading. Because of how emotive the language is, He's going off, chained up, and he's screaming back to them. And they just don't hear it. They just ignore it. And yet, 13 years later, it's resonating. Actually, it was 15 years later because there was another two. This is two years into the famine. So he was 32 at this point, so it's 15 years later. That's what they're remembering. Here. I want to talk for a moment about the scars of sin. A scar does not hurt anymore. It's been healed. But you can still see it. and it places a blemish. Nobody brags about their scars. They might brag about how they got it, right? Look how manly I was. I got a scar. But it's not an appearance way of bragging. I don't say, look how beautiful I am. I have this scar. Generally, when it comes to beauty, people try to hide scars. So... It was interesting to me, uh, and you can turn there if you like. If not, that's fine. It's just two verses. It's Genesis chapter 41, verses 51 and 52. I'd never noticed this before. Joseph had scars. I mean, you can assume that. But from this experience, Joseph had scars. They were prominent ones. Again, there are things that happen in our life, even sometimes defined down to the moment. Moments that occur in our life that we play back a thousand times in our mind. And they make such a mark that they they govern us. Now, a lot of times we like to pretend like we're tough enough to handle it. But very often, if we would be honest, we're not. We can deceive ourselves into thinking, you know, I don't really need God's help that much. I'm good. I'm tough. But here we find that Joseph, these events that transpired in his life were so significant his children's names were named as a result of these events. Look at verse 51 of Genesis chapter 41. It says this, And Joseph called the name of the firstborn Manasseh. That means, Manasseh means causing to forget. For God said he, Hath made me forget all my toil and all my father's house. So think, think of this. The, I, my son my son Jetson is here, and I've named him after someone who had a big impact on my life. 17-year-old young man, newly called to preach. At that point, I had never read an adult book in my whole life. I was lazy. I could describe myself in a lot of ways. One of them definitely was lazy and non-academic. And I pick up this book about a man named Adoniram Judson. I've shared this with you before. I read the contents of his life. And it makes this huge impact on me to see the fruitfulness of his life. Some five years later, I'm at a high school, or excuse me, a middle school. I've told you this before. I meet this young Burmese lady. I'm student teaching. She's student teaching. And I say to her, 200 years after his decease, by chance, have you ever heard of Adoniram Judson? And she pauses what she's doing, and she looks at me, and she says, Oh, he's the person who brought the light of the glorious gospel to my people. And God changed my life in that moment. Because he showed me that the fruits of our life, despite all the suffering we may go through when we remain faithful to God, can have an impact even 200 years later in a a country thousands of miles away. And when given the choice between living a life of purpose for our creator and maker, or living a life for self-pleasure, at that moment, it became self-evident. Because all of those people, Jacob Eames, his best friend, Adoniram Judson's best friend, who he went out and lived this scandalous life with, his name has been forgotten. His contributions to the world is no more. But the spiritual fruit of that man, Adoniram Judson, abounds. Today. Here. So for me, my son was born. I was going to name it his middle name. We couldn't come up with a name. So I just asked Kelly, what do you think about making that his first name? And that's how he got his name. I say all that to say that name was derived from a pivotal event moment. All that crescendoed at one time had an impact. When I say Judson's name, that tone resonates in my ear. Manasseh is his name. So it seems as though what he's saying is this. When I was a slave, when I was in prison, all I could think about is my family and what I had lost. I could not accept life here. We learn in the 105th Psalm, that's part of what David's, where his heart was at. You can go back and read for yourself that until the time of his word came, my soul was in chains is what the original Hebrew says. So his soul is, is chained with what happened, the events of what happened. He cannot forget it until now he's at the station in life where God has redeemed all of that sin. And he's coming to name his son. And now he's at this Place in life where God has helped him to accept all of these things of the past. And he names his son Manasseh. God has caused me to forget the pain of what I experienced. Here's the second thing, the second scar. He has another son. Verse 52. and the name of the second called he Ephraim. For God hath caused me to be fruitful in the land of my affliction. I Say all that just to say the scars lasted, didn't they? The scars were so significant, he even named his own children as a result of what he experienced from that sin. Couldn't forget it. The scars lasted later on. When he's standing before his brothers, and they're recalling, they're speaking in their own language. They don't know he can understand them. And they begin to talk about him. And they begin to talk about, all this is coming upon us because of what we did to our brother. And they're feeling, they're seeing the scars, they're seeing the consequences. And he again is having those scars reopened, those wounds reopened. insomuch so much that three times from this point forward, as they're discussing things, he has to step outside of the room and weep because of the pain of what had transpired 15 years earlier. You ever have things you don't like to talk about? You ever has certain sinful situations, perhaps of your own sin, or the sins that have happened in a family or a friendship? And if the name comes up, if the time frame of life comes up, you simply don't like to talk about it. It's likely because there's scars there. And those scars, those wounds, when reopened, Hurt. I want to say that in the, this in that context. Until we face those scars, the way the Bible has told us to, those wounds and scars will always be there. Some of those scars will be there no matter what. But there's a difference between a wound and a scar. The wound, when irritated, still hurts. The scar doesn't. All right? For many people, I think, I've seen go 20, 30, 40 years of unresolved issues from sin, their own or others. And they've done everything they can to convince themselves, I'm okay. When really what they need to do is they need to face it head on. If that's you this morning, I want to encourage you, don't bury something that is still alive inside of you. Because all it takes is one ember to start a forest fire, right? Isn't that what is so always fascinating to hear when you hear all these reports about out west and then we hear the cause of it and it was some tiny, some teenage boy going out to start a fire during a no burn time. And you say, wait, it killed how many people? It destroyed how many thousands of acres of land from just a little kid trying to do something that we would all do? Very often, here, one of the scars that he had was so impactful, we see that he, he named his son after. Here's another scar that we see in the Scriptures, Jacob. Jacob is hurt, man. He goes into deep mourning after Joseph is gone. And then, after this occasion here in chapter 42, his sons have to go back, and they say, Father, he's told us, because basically what Joseph made him do to get the whole story is that Simeon, One of the brothers says, I'll stay here. I'll be the collateral that my brothers will bring Benjamin back. So Simeon is left there. He's imprisoned there. And all of his brothers go back, and they begin to relate the story to Jacob. And they begin to say, Jacob, here's what's required, Father. He's given us all this food. And then what's terrified us even more is we paid him. We remember paying him. But when we opened up our sacks, there our money was. Well, Joseph had done that, and we'll get to why he did that maybe next week. But Joseph had done that on purpose, and so now they're terrified. Because what it's going to look like is they went and stole this food and then ran away. And now Jacob, that dam of memories that he had tried to suppress about losing Joseph, it all starts coming back. And he says, what have you done? I've already lost Joseph, and now you've caused me to lose Simeon. And he's demanding, Benjamin, I'm going to lose all of my sons. Jacob becomes terrified. Now, here's another consequence and scar of the sin. And I want to say this, and I'm going to close. Here's another scar, of the, another wound. It doesn't seem as though the brothers have ever told Jacob what really happened. This isn't pleasant to talk about, but it's just real. Have you ever sinned with somebody? and then covered it up with somebody and gotten away with it with somebody. And then you get in a position where your morality and your own heart and conscience is confronted. Maybe somebody boasts about your honesty when you're standing next to that person. Uh, I remember a situation like that in school where that happened. I, I know I've shared it before where I I stole a Tootsie Roll from a third-grade teacher. And uh, such a small, little, dumb thing. I had another occasion where I cheated on a test I've told you about before. and It just bothered me. I got an A on the test, and I hated when that A came back. So much that I had to tell myself. I could not live because I was exalted among the students because I got a perfect score. I was... Called out, and I, I couldn't do that. That was, that was salt in the wound. Right? Now imagine, for 15 years, here are these brothers. Have all had the same experience, and they walked away, and they all know what really happened. And then their father is in the depth of sorrow. I infer from the reading that he went to a, a degree of sorrow that was very unanticipated by them. You can read it for yourself. but When I read it, it seems like, man, he was to the point of death. He was so sorrowful. And it actually says, to the point of Sheol, or he would go into Sheol. So he's really low. And then imagine now for 15 years, you all have this secret. And it's about your sin. And so one thing you're worried about is people defecting, right? So now... You're terrified that one of perhaps your younger brothers, you know, the blabbermouth, the younger brother, that's often what they get char- characterized as. Is he going to say something? Is he going to tell? And so they've got to live with this uncertainty for years and years and years. And then when Joseph's names get brought up, what's going to be the first thing to go through all of their minds? I wonder where he's at. Father thinks he's dead. The friends think he's dead. Mother thinks he's dead. I wonder where he's at. I wonder what he's doing. I wonder if he is dead. I wonder if he's alive. For years, they've got to live with the haunting realities of what their sin might be causing on their brother and watch it replayed in the sorrow of their father and mother over and over and over. Do you think on day one, when they're in the middle of doing that to Joseph, they were thinking about that pain they were going to have to face? Absolutely not but it was a scar and a consequence. And we know it because that's what they recall. That's what they bring out. Today, if there's anything, there's other things that I had studied and was going to bring before you, but if there's anything that I've, I've tried to emphasize this morning, it would be to all of us, myself included. Sin looks pleasurable for a season, but the complexity of life And the effects of time cause the pain and scars of sin to do things that we never would have imagined. Now, I'm going to stop the sermon here, but the story doesn't stop here. And we'll continue into it next week. There is redemption. As terrible as we stop this story, as this is for every person involved. Notice at this moment, every person involved is in distress. Jacob, the brothers, and even Joseph. Joseph's got the upper hand, and he's still in distress. What we're going to see as we move on is there can be redemption if it's conditional. Forgiveness and restoration is conditional upon action. I pray this morning that I hate to stop here because it's a very depressing place to stop. Uh, But I think in the context of of this story, I want to stop here. And um, I'll say this in closing. All these things that have transpired, I don't want to give the impression that God didn't know what was going to happen and He wasn't in control at every moment. Because what we learn one of the key lessons that we learn from this is what and this is one thing that just makes makes God so incomparable to us is that he can take man's sin and use it for good and that's amazing that where we see only pain where we see only consequence and judgment God can use even the pain because there's a purpose in the pain of sin We're going to talk about that some next week. Sin should be painful. God has a purpose in the pain. And God uses it for our good. And he does that here. That's our message today. I pray that in some way, especially as we've emphasized this morning, if you're a young person here, don't become conceited into thinking, you know, you can wrangle sin. The moment you think that, it's got a tighter grasp on you than what you know. That's our message this morning. I pray it would be of some benefit to you. And it's certainly been some benefit for me to to read and to study this last few weeks.